You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. It is time. I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we made it. I know. I was thinking about it, and we're like about a third through a Teen Wolf now. That's insane. It's pretty crazy, especially because it's all downhill from here, baby. (laughs) Well, we have 3B to look forward to. And our first siren of the night. Wow. Starting out strong. It's been a it's been a crazy siren day. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, we also had like a crazy neighborhood day. Like things have really been going crazy in our neighborhood the last couple of days. The thing about like living in any major city is you'll be just going along living your life and you hear someone screaming and you have to drop whatever you're doing to see if you can figure out if it's just like a fun scream or like a not fun scream. scream. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so people people have really been acting crazy. I was like trying to look up if it was a full moon or something. I was like, what is making everybody act nuts? I actually just thought about it for a second, and I was like, no, we're in the middle of a global pandemic in a overturned election cycle. So no, we're just going nuts naturally. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> As we start out every episode talking about the state of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been gassing up this episode for weeks now, I think, because everyone knows that this is sort of like the episode of season three. And also of Teen Wolf. If I had one episode to show to someone to explain to them why I love Teen Wolf and like that kind of covers a lot of the main characters, it would be this one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, it's it's really well paced. It sets so far away from the rest of the plot that you're able to... It's like an episode you can just kind of jump into. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very mature uh, in theme, obviously. Um, and we're going to get into that before we, we talk about this episode to make sure everyone's taking care of themselves. Um, but I think even just like structurally, it feels... It takes a a place away from Beacon Hills. Like, the only sort of indication that it's, like, a high school thing is that they are on the school bus at the beginning. Um, It really sort of took the show into a new direction. And it's funny because when we were listening to the cast talk about their favorite episodes on the um, reunion, resumion, Mm -hmm. as it were, a lot of them mentioned this one. I think Tyler specifically, Tyler Posey specifically mentioned this episode. Yeah, and Ian Bowen, even though he's not in it. Which is like, oh, what a king. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and I also think that it's some of all of these actors' like finest work uh, in the show. Yeah. Everybody was, was challenged, and even the ones who have sort of smaller parts were given just really interesting things to do. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing I thought, most, like, we'll get into this, but, like, I find it, found it really impressive that, like, so much of what happens to Isaac and Boyd happens to them alone, so they're not acting off anybody. It really is just, like, sort of, you know, acting under, like, the given circumstance of hallucination and, and not having anybody to bounce energy off of and just doing that alone in a room in front of a camera would be, like... Mm-hmm. It was just impressive. Yeah, that's one of the things, also you were talking about how it's like outside of Beacon Hills, it's outside of high school, and I think it's one of the more fantastical episodes, particularly up to now, because especially the stuff with Isaac and Boyd, like when Isaac gets thrown in the freezer, like the camera zooms out and it's just the freezer. Like he's not located in any specific place. Um, It's unique. It is, and we'll... We talk more about it. it. Uh, that is our second siren, by the way. I don't actually know if that one's showing up on the pod, but you can hear it, right? Oh, I, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, we've been talking about this. I don't think if I'm, I mentioned this, we are talking about season three, episode six of Motel California. If, if I just like jumped right in. I think everybody knows, like everybody on Twitter is very excited about this episode because it really, it, it is haunting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and very much, um, I think you're not alone in being like, if I were to show anybody an episode of Teen Wolf, this would be it. So it paves the way for the severity of the rest of the season and, and 3B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we get too deep into uh, dis- our discussion of Moto California, I do want to offer a quick trigger warning. This episode is almost entirely about um, suicide and suicidal ideation. So I want to make sure that anybody who is listening to this podcast is well aware of that before continuing on because it is going to have to be a major part of our discussion. Um, if you have to turn off this episode at any point, we would way rather you guys just take care of yourselves because this is heavy shit. Um, so we love you and take care of yourself. Stay safe. Yep. Um, but then I guess we can kind of move right into our, uh, 60 second recap. Are you ready? Cause you're going first. Sure. Let's do, I didn't, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Sure. You seem, um, unsure. I mean, there's so much packed into this episode. There really is. And it all happens in two places pretty yep. much. Yep. Well, that would make it easier actually. But like, <laughs> There's so much bouncing around. I actually have a lot to say about that, but, um, Oakley dokely. Well, are you ready to give it your best shot? Sure. Cool. Yeah. One, two, three. Okay. So their track meet or whatever has been canceled. So they're staying at, um, a hotel, but Ooh, prior to that, there's a little flashback, uh, 1970, um, an Argent kills himself at the same motel and, uh, like weird stuff starts happening. We find out that Jennifer has gotten Derek back to his apartment. Um, Styles notices Boyd acting weird. Lydia starts hearing voices. She finds out that the motel is a hotspot for suicides and they've been keeping track of it. Um, Boyd tries to kill himself. Isaac tries to kill himself in just various different ways. There's some sexy times going on with Jennifer and Derek. Um, Chris offers to come pick Allison up because he is really concerned about her well-being because he knows the hotel and he also knows that she has been involved in the werewolf stuff. Um, But she says, no, dad, don't come pick me up. And then um, eventually they figure out that Scott has gone outside and doused himself in gasoline and is about to um, blow himself to high heaven. And Styles says, please don't do that. I love you. And uh, they all wake up on the bus and find out that they've been poisoned with wolfbane. You did it. it happening. You done did it. There was just so much to happen um, yes yeah and also there's so much nuance in this particular episode that a plot recap really just feels kind of tacky <laughs> like i just feel like I'm a not- little bit it's a little bit like and then so-and-so tries to suicide and yeah. then da, da, da. yeah yeah um we we will deal with these with more grace post Yes, we just want you to know what's happening. I'm assuming most people know Mm -hmm. what's happening. Again, how could you jump into this podcast just (laughs) willy-nilly? Yeah. Um, Are you ready? uh, Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, go. So there's a flashback of El- a flashback of Allison's uncle who suicides at the Glen Capri because he got bit by a werewolf, and then we flash to the cross country team and they have to spend the night at the Glen Capri because of the I don't know the traffic jam, and then Scott and Styles are brainstorming and Styles thinks it might be Lydia who that's making everybody go nuts, and then Jennifer brings Derek back to his apartment and Chris like is investigating the fight scene and then Styles finds Boyd punching out the vending machine and then Scott creeps on Allison and everyone's like what's happening and then Lydia finds the suicide number and then Isaac is losing it and Allison tells her dad that. We're 
where they are. And then it goes back to Derek and Jennifer. And then Lydia has, hears the suicide pact in the other room and they find out it's empty. And then Boyd hallucinates his dead sister in the ice and Isaac hallucinates its dad. And then Allison and Lydia go to the front desk and find, find that the winner, the number went up and then Scott hallucinates Ducanley and killing his mom. And then Lydia texts Styles and they determine that it must be Wolfsbane that's making this happen. And then Ethan starts going crazy and then tries to cut something out of his stomach, like chest buster style. And then they're like, figure out that like, this is going to be the sacrifices and that heat stops the werewolves. Boyd tries to suicide. They find Isaac under the bed style. I mean, Scott tries to suicide and then through the power of love, they save him. Through the power of love by Celine Dion. Um, yeah. What did we miss? Um, I don't think I missed that much. Oh, uh, the world's stickiest sex scene. Gross. And, uh, at the very end, the very last scene, Chris goes to visit Gerard who is alive. Did we know he was alive? I guess we did, but we didn't well, know he, he was still around. Well, he doesn't die. Yeah, he's most, he's like in basically hospice, I guess. Yeah. Um, bleeding, black blood. And yeah, whatever suffered you, bitch. <laughs> Chris is like, who killed my uncle in the hotel, Duke Haley? And he says it so dramatically. I almost expected like a lightning bolt to go off in the background right after he said it. <laughs> like like, like a, a, a muted sound bite of, I am the demon wolf. <laughs> yeah. Just or like, like bad comedy comic book shit any any time in like an old horror film when they're trying to emphasize something and it's like and you like yeah like yeah that's Mm -hmm. what i expected to happen but yeah um so after all of that plot recap uh we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of guilt before we do that do you want to tell us a little bit about the episode julia Yes, uh, this episode was written by um, a Mr. Christian Taylor and Angel Harvey, who's the staff writer who's been doing uh, excellent fellow work Christian. this season. Um, and Christian Taylor also directed the episode. And what's very interesting about that is similar to the last episode, um, Christian Taylor has directed three episodes of Teen Wolf and like two other things. And he's produced a bunch of stuff, but this really seems to be the only thing that he has like seriously worked on. Which is fascinating because it's one of my all-time favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Those hey, but it's not stats. like there's any part of the directing where I'm like, that's so innovative. So, No, it just looks different for the show. Yeah, it does. So that's interesting. Yeah, it, it has a different flavor for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of guilt, who would you like to talk about first? I almost don't know where to start. I know. Because it's so overwhelming maybe before getting into the wolves we talk about lydia Hmm. who i think i was talking about this with my twin sister and i think the reason why this episode is so successful is i think people latch onto the different character happenings in this episode Mm -hmm. like they like you can either really like sort of end up like sympathizing with boyd or with isaac or with scott um, and she has always been somebody who's like lydia is by far the most interesting part of this episode which i kind of agree Um, Mm -hmm. because Lydia isn't experiencing her own guilt, um, or her own suicidal ideation. She is experiencing all, experiencing all of it vicariously through the history of this motel, because we are not yet uh, privy to her being a banshee, Mm -hmm. but this is kind of one of the biggest things where it's like, that is Lydia's power. She can hear, she, she can sense death. Like she is on plane. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's been frustrating Lydia throughout this entire season is that she always manages to arrive wherever it is too late. Mm -hmm. 
Um, which is frustrating everybody, but particularly her because she seems to stumble upon these things um, without knowing how she got there. And so um, it must be particularly traumatic for her to be hearing all of these past suicides that she can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really overwhelming and I think an excellent performance um, oh, from Holland Rowling. Yes, I agree. This is one of her standout episodes, I think. Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting because she wants so badly to, be, to prevent these things that have already happened. And so you're so sure when she first hears the couple making the suicide pact and the room over that she's going to be able to help them, mm-hmm. uh, even after she hears the gunshots. But Allison can't hear them. And when she walks in the room, she realizes that it's already happened, um, which is just another thing that she can't prevent. And then when Styles later brings up the fact that she poisoned everybody with Wolfsbane, she's really defensive because she feels incredibly bad about the stuff thing, like the thing she did under Peter's influence, which is, um, a symptom of her victimhood, um, that she is, you know, suffering guilt from stuff that she had no control over. Uh, and now it's just very clear that Lydia's relationship to, to death is one that she, is really haunted by, like, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, kind of ghost, but... Yeah, I, mean, I think we use the word trauma and traumatic a lot when we talk about Teen Wolf and the experiences that people go through, but particularly Lydia, because she has been taken so advantage of, and because now she's hearing all of these uh, dead people's voices, she has no way of dealing with that because no one else can hear those voices. No one else was possessed by Peter. And this actually is kind of a turning point because Allison says very explicitly, I believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe that you heard that. Yeah. That moment was really important. It's new. It's fresh. It like is. no one has believed women. Before. Women believing women. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, I also think Lydia's experiences and how she interacts with death is different from how you see it in a lot of other sort of pieces of media. Like, you know, um, she's not a psychic or somebody who can reach beyond the veil or whatever. If anything, the veil reaches beyond her. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, she doesn't get to have positive interaction. Like I was kind of thinking about uh, Umbrella Academy, which I don't know if you've seen, but like Klaus's power is that he can talk to the dead. And in part that's haunting to him because he's like constantly talking to his dead brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also can have positive interactions with the dead. Whereas Lydia only experiences the last few moments before somebody ends their life or their life is ended, which is ridiculously tragic. There's, yeah. there's no sort of like other side she interacts with. But the- The thing that is kind of special about Lydia is that she um, brings humanity to death, if that makes sense. Like, they're in the the hotel rooms, and they go through the Bible, and they see that they have kept, the people who run the hotel have kept all of the newspaper articles from all of the suicides, and, like, they just continue operating their motel, and they repaint the rooms, um, and no one's really there to remember them. They're just, like, some gross, creepy statistic. And Lydia's hearing their actual voices. She's hearing their last moments and, and that they were human. And like when she finds the dead lifeguard, mm-hmm. she's bringing attention to their death so that they're not uh, there alone, mm-hmm. which is kind of positive, but mostly just traumatic for her. 
Yeah. Uh, it, you know what it reminds me of? Mm-hmm. Have you ever read The Pillow Man and or seen The Pillow Man? Yes. Right? Okay. So for anybody who doesn't know, because why would you? The Pillow Man is like a Martin McDonough play. And in it, there's a story about like the pillow man who's got the worst job on earth because he basically goes back in time and tells children that their lives are going to be terrible and then gives them the option to kill themselves before they have their lives and kill themselves in adulthood. And that's like how child, like accident child deaths happen. And it kind of feels like Lydia is the pillow man. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great play. You guys should read it. But, it is a great play. Um, um, it's deeply depressing. It's really sad. Um, yeah, but I, I feel like there's no way, especially because Lydia doesn't know what she is, there's no way for her to walk around and not feel guilty about the things that she can hear or the things that she finds. Yeah, I agree. And she wants, like, and in, in the, the demonstration of, of her guilt is, is trying so hard to save these people and even using her power to save people because when she hears which is this this line is just gut-wrenching when she hears the water running in the sewer and she's like she's drowning the baby Mm. she knows that one of her friends is drowning and she is able to save boyd um so it is a a a curse that that she has but it is able she is able to either save people or or make somebody not alone in their last moments which is tragic yeah what well, i mean and i think everybody wants to be acknowledged <laughs> like everybody wants their their life to be acknowledged as having been worth something mm-hmm. which i think she gives to them yeah it's it's a crazy cross to bear but she does it <laughs> not willingly no she does not but <laughs> um we we get to see so much of that mm-hmm. and it becomes more and more important which is great and um I like I know I've said this before but I've always been so glad that they played it out into an actual supernatural power as opposed to her just like being crazy or you know her just screaming all the time yeah um, it's nice that it's a real thing it's just great they gave it a name mm-hmm. truly there's nothing more invalidating towards women than calling them crazy yeah <laughs> everyone listening is like oh you're telling me babe yeah um <laughs> I, uh, I kind of a little bit want to talk about some of our other side characters before we get into our werewolf friends. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about Styles? Sure. Styles, uh, I don't think Styles is put in a place of feeling guilty until the end, uh, with the exception of him feeling bad about assuming that what is happening is what's happening is to do with Lydia. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because he's not, I, he's not wrong to make that assumption that something could be happening again with Lydia, and because I've seen this before. But it is interesting how much he doesn't want to say it or tell her. Yeah, um, it's just because he loves her, and and <laughs> <laughs> love is often a cause of guilt. So, mm-hmm. um, but the end of the of the episode, uh, I think Styles, I think it's actually put into perspective. Um, to him in those moments, how much Scott has been dealing with without him. Yeah, we were kind of talking about this in the last episode, how Styles seems to be very um, apart from the rest of what's going on because he really wants to figure out what's going on with the sacrifices. He's much more invested in that particular plot line as opposed to the, the Alpha Pack um, and all the other things that Scott's going through. 
And this seems to be kind of the culmination of that. It's not friction necessarily, but there's like a certain amount of distance yeah. between them emotionally at this point. I, I almost don't even know if, it, if it's emotional distance. Um, or like a disconnect. Yeah, a disconnect. Because they're not pushing away from each other. I literally think that this is like, there's just been something clouding. Like, Styles is so preoccupied with the other things that are going on right now with the Dirac, with what's happening with Lydia. He hasn't checked back in with yeah. Scott. And this was a big reality check for him to hear Scott say all those things. And even though they are induced by Wolfsbane, like there is a part of, all of these hallucinations are coming from the, the parts of all of the werewolves that feel guilty about something. Um, and so whatever, like drunk <laughs> mouths speak sober thoughts or whatever, sure. a little bit like that. Like there is a part of Scott that does believe what he's saying and, and it's manifesting so presently that Styles has no choice but to deal with it in that moment and deals with it in a way that is so much. He says to Scott, like, if you go, I will be going with you because we're brothers and I love you. I, uh, I absolutely bawled my eyes out the first time uh, I saw this episode because of that. Yeah. Um, it's very emotional, but also like Scott has not been asking for support from style. So how would he have known? No, no. Um, but I think that's like male friendship is complicated. (laughs) It is complicated, but I also think that's like a very, um, specific kind of guilt because, uh, even if no one has said anything about it to you, when they reveal how they truly uh, feel about it, you think to yourself, Oh my God, how could I not have known? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, I love you and we're so close. How could I have been so blind to what you're experiencing. And I think that that's the realization that Styles comes to in the end. And I think that is the guilt that most people in life experience when they know somebody who has committed suicide. How could I not know? Yeah. How couldn't I see it? And it's because more often than not, it's because those people who are having those thoughts wouldn't show it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there are signs, but if you're not actively looking for them, you'd never see them, which is what I think is so impressive about the end of this episode how aware it is of that fact um Mm -hmm. and is able to sort of demonstrate it with with grace and i think that for having such a heavy heavy subject matter like this episode uh with the exception of this world's stickiest sex scene we will get we'll get there uh does um does discuss it quite tactfully yeah i don't remember the first time i watched it or even this time uh, being uncomfortable, like the subject matter is uncomfortable, but I don't remember being like, Ooh, this was not handled well. Mm-hmm. And particularly with styles, because oftentimes he is the main, uh, vessel for comedic relief. There are some quippy moments where he is just being styles, but it is never like what everybody else is going through is never trivialized. No. And all of those moments happen in the beginning of the episode. Yes. Before we realize that like, Shit's not right. It's it's very mm-hmm. serious. I also actually think that um, the music helped a lot with that in this episode, particularly because it was so solemn. And it's not like it's like clown music the rest of the time, <laughs> but sometimes it's like you know rock music and the fight scenes or whatever. And um, I just felt that all of the choices that were made in terms of how they were framing these stories 
with all of the editing and that goes along with it. Yeah. I thought it was so respectful. I'm watching uh, I May Destroy You right now, which if you have HBO, everyone needs to watch if you are... I don't know. I feel like most of our audience is of age to watch that show, but if, no 16-year-olds, I don't know. But that show, it has just like really, the nature of it is that it is really like heavy subject matter that is told through a black comedy, and it could be something that is so incredibly punishing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it could, there is a universe in which it is unwatchable, but it talks about things with enough levity, like we see in the beginning of the episode with Styles, um, and enough honesty that it, is so palatable. Yeah. Like, I think this episode is tear-jerking, like you said, but not in a way where I am hurt by it. Like, it's almost not even necessarily cathartic. It's like... You just feel so deeply what these characters are feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as much as I love Coach, I actually am so grateful that he was not part of the episode besides the beginning and the end. Because... That would trivialize it. It would trivialize it. And they certainly had a choice to do that because their high schooler is staying in a motel. Like he could have been. I thought there could have been like just a scene of him sleeping and then like ambient next to him, which is why he doesn't (laughs) know that any of this is going on. Yeah. Um, But the fact that they chose not to include him during the important scenes was excellent. Good choice. Yeah. Um, Should we move on to the rest of our wolf friends? Let's do it. Um, Let's talk about Ethan, because yeah. I want to know your opinion on what guilt he is feeling, because his hallucination actually suggests to me more feelings about his brother. Yes. Um, what it feels like to me, and feel free to correct me, is that when he's hallucinating something trying to get out of his body, he thinks that like because he can morph to get, like mighty morph and power rangers together with so disgusting uh-huh with aiden like it feels like he's trying to cut aiden out of his body is that what you read yes okay so i feel like guilt is connected there i'm not quite sure maybe they did eat a twin in the womb <laughs> well everybody who's in deucalion's pack has had to commit what we would consider unspeakable horrors of like human atrocities. Yeah. Killing their own pack members and God knows what else. Um, and they are by far the youngest members. Yeah. At least that's the implication. And I would imagine, um, I'm not a twin, but I, you know, like I have, it's a, okay. Cause I am. So, so I'll but, correct you. I, I would imagine that like, even though it turns you into like the mightiest of werewolves, I would imagine that like fusing with your brother and like losing your individuality in that sense would be traumatic. Interesting. Yes. I mean, like I am somebody who has like deep feelings about individuality. Like every person who's a t- people who are twins either define themselves by being a twin or like, you would never know I had a twin unless I told you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, t- but that's not my approach. I, I kind of, was always wondering if there was a universe in which they thought that they would have to commit fratricide to join the Deucalion's pack. Because it is crazy that they are there together as twins. Because presumably they would have to be in their own pack, be an alpha, uh, you know, alpha is a singular position. Mm-hmm. So the dynamics of that is interesting to me. So if there, if there was ever a point where Ethan or Aiden thought they had to kill each other to be part of the alphas, that would be what I think is most interesting. And if that's what he's guilting about is the very thought of him killing his brother. Fascinating. I wish we had dug more into that. 
Well, this is where I would love the handbook on werewolf rules and werewolf mythology. We're not getting one. Stop asking for it. I know. Um, no, I, I think that's a really intriguing way of, of looking at it. I think that Ethan probably has a lot of guilt. We see him like having a human moment with Scott. Uh, at the end on the bus mm-hmm. and he has these human moments with Danny. So we know that he has feelings. Um, and it could just be because of the wolf being that is being exacerbated in ways that he's normally able to push down. Um, and well, we don't really, the unfortunate thing is that we don't really know anything about the twins relationship prior yeah. to the alpha pack. And so we don't really know their dynamic. Um, we don't really know if they were apart and then came back together. Like maybe Ethan wishes that he could be away from Aiden. Like they're, they're shown as close, Mm -hmm. but they are thrown together in situations where they cannot get away from it. Yeah. Um, it's like forced togetherness and anyone who's had to spend forced togetherness for their family knows that that's me, me and my twin were on the phone today talking about which one of us would cane enable the other. I will kill you. Yeah. And uh, in like a funny way, I promise. But like, I think that if I had to share a skin suit with Madison, I would murder her instantly. Yeah. I think it's traumatic for them. And I think that they clearly are not living their normal high school lives when not trying to destroy Scott McCall. So they're like getting that taste of normalcy back. Mm -hmm. And I think whenever Ethan thinks about like morphing into like mega wolf, uh, he's reminded that he is like, he belongs to this pack and he has to do certain things to be a part of it. And it just weighs on him. Interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to me like something that he and Aiden would talk about. No, they'd talk about it. No, you think? Yes. I, I I have an identical twin. I'm telling you, they talk about it. It just, it's very interesting. I w- that is perhaps the one downfall of this particular episode is that there are uh, certain moments where I wish we'd had more character development to support uh, the emotions that they clearly want us to feel for those people. And to support our understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. You know what? My thing about choosing Ethan to be the third suicide instead of Isaac is that you actually end up having a less impactful, uh, scene because he's a villain. (laughs) And like, if I, if they had actually played out like the situation in which it was Isaac trying to kill himself, we already know so much about Isaac's backstory we personally are like very connected to him for like no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would have weighed with us more, but because Ethan is somebody who we know so little about, we're just kind of sitting here speculating. Like everything we've said to this point is just like conjecture. <laughs> I, I guarantee Which, you we everything we have about ever. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever everything we've ever said on this very podcast is actually just conjecture. Yeah. Um, speaking of Isaac, let's talk about him. Oh, it's just so sad. Interesting, because I feel like we have returned to the freezer thing. We've returned to the abuse thing. Why do they drop it? Uh, yeah, but like it, it's, a re- it's a recurring theme because mm-hmm. it was incredibly traumatic and awful. Um, and I, I would think that like the imagery of him being locked in the freezer 
um, would be a little bit played out at this point just because we've seen it so many times. Or we've, se- we've seen the idea of it so many times. But, like, to have the dialogue about... The, the first time it happened? Is so oh. chilling. Yeah. And it's funny because when he does the, the, the dad's part, he, he kind of almost brings on the affectations of that actor's speech. Yeah. It... Ooh, another siren. Jesus. Just in time. Oh, this one's angry. <laughs> it's a spicy siren. This is a spicy siren. Um, well, and you know, the thing that I find uh, interesting, particularly about Isaac and his relationship with his dad, um, is the moment when he tells, I think it's Scott, that his dad didn't used to hit him. Yeah. And that, it, and that, that changed. And I think when he... Uh, is doing the whole thing where, like, hand me whatever wrench. Yeah. Um, Like, I had so many moments like that with my stepdad growing up, like, working on something and, you know, him getting frustrated and me getting frustrated because you are learning how to communicate with each other. And the idea that something so innocuous like that can turn into something so horrific... Yeah. I think plays really personally for a lot of people. And I think they did it really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, and testament to Daniel Sharman. Like I said, the two characters who just sort of are acting in front of the camera, like no other actors with them, do such a good job in this episode. Um, It is interesting to me, though, that Isaac has pretty... I mean, I would love to see the first draft of the script or the the unedited version of this episode, but we know that there's only supposed to be three suicides, so it's interesting to me that Isaac was chosen not to be one of them. I kind of theorize that, like, Isaac's life is so traumatic that like there has probably been like times in which he's experienced like suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. so i think experiencing that in wolf form would be like i have been here (laughs) well i'm trying to remember what the categories are because there was virgins and warriors and then the werewolves but i don't know if they fit under like a secondary theme among the three of them that isaac just didn't fit into um I don't know. I don't know if there'd be a theme that Isaac fit into that Boyd wouldn't. Yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac's a straight white man. <laughs> the rest of them aren't white or straight. Maybe that's it. <laughs> the Dirac is going after minorities. She must be stopped. She hates diversity. <laughs> oh my God. Not only does she suck, she's also a white supremacist. <laughs> that tracks. That does track. I hate the Dirac. Um... Even talking about this episode, we can still find dumb ways to laugh. Uh, Let's talk about Boyd. Once again, I wish that there had been crumbs of this earlier. Earlier. Because that story is tragic. Horrible. We're meant to believe that she, she kidnapped or did she fall through the ice? It's confusing from the police report. But I think she falls through the ice, just given what's happened. Yeah, what's happened. The, the situation. Yeah. Well. And Side note: falling through thin ice is like a big fear of mine. Interesting. Like you ever just be from Michigan, where you're like, it can happen at any time. <laughs> I used to feel that way about uh, quicksand, but didn't everybody when they were little? Yeah, but like thin ice is like a thing I experience. <laughs> quicksand is not. You know, I actually used to be. Um, really afraid of that too but not because I'd personally experienced it but because of the scene in the 1994 Little Women when uh, Amy goes through the ice and they have to pull her out and it's really I thought you were going to talk about um, It's a Wonderful Life 
No, but that movie traumatized me so badly when I was little. I absolutely hate that movie. I cannot stand watching it. It upset me so deeply when I was like seven the first time I watched it. And I was like, I'm never watching that movie again. We watch it every Christmas Eve. But also my family watched ti- watches Titanic on Christmas. So we're not like happy Christmas people. <laughs> we're like well aware that Christmas is deeply haunted. Um, I love It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> Christmas is the scariest holiday. There's so many ghosts. If we had uh, like a merch line, I think Christmas is deeply haunted would be a great t-shirt. Oh, we should see if everybody would be interested in shirts. We would... This is a weird time to start soliciting, but would you guys be interested in merch? Let us know. Tweet at us. Tweet at us. Back to Boyd. Uh, so it appears that his sister has fallen through the ice while he was supposed to be watching her while she was ice skating. But... And Don. Yeah, the crazy thing about Thin Ice is, like, even if he was with her, there's a really big chance he could have never saved her. Because what happens when you fall through Thin Ice, and this is why it's so terrifying, everybody listen up, is that it's not the, the coldness of the water that kills you, it's the shock, and because it's so, like, it's not the coldness of the water, and it's, like... Like it's not hypothermia. The coldness of the water uh, produces a state of shock that makes you immediately breathe in. So you drown upon falling in thin ice, like almost immediately. Yeah. Also, if you if there's any kind of current where you are, you're sucked you, right under. Yeah, and you can't get back out. So it is horrifying. Um, the crazy thing about this, and I was just thinking about it, is that they could have dropped that so easily because Boyd worked at the fucking ice rink. Yeah. And they could have just, they put, they put Peter in the ice. They did that whole thing with like the, with Lydia and the Wolfsbane mm-hmm. at the ice rink. They could have done something similar with Boyd for us to have kind of a vague idea. All we know about Boyd is that he's a loner and like a junior ROTC member, apparently. And he plays an ice sport, I assume. I guess. I would love to find out that Boyd is a figure skater. That would be... Or a speed skater. I don't want Boyd to play hockey. No. Because then he'd be just the worst type of human being. Um, Um, But in terms of guilt, yeah, I wish we had known this earlier, but his story is like... It's one of those... I think that like there is sort of like a narrative that sometimes happens uh, um, around suicide where it is like people being unable to save others that drives them to it Mm -hmm. and like if the guilt of his sister disappearing on his watch has been weighing with him for that long that is such an interesting piece of of Boyd's character because it makes me think about you know did that guilt lead him even more to wanting to be a werewolf so he could save the next kid or something like that yeah I had this the exact same thought um and especially because we know I mean, the excuse that Erica gives for wanting to be a werewolf is an understandable. It's a little, it's not trivial, but it's not on the same level mm-hmm. of like, my father abuses me and, you know. Um, but like, Isaac gets that moment, Erica gets that moment, and Boyd, it's kind of implied that he's just lonely. Which isn't enough. Loneliness is horrible. It is, it is horrible, but also to have that like extra. Boyd is lonely and has lost a family member that he feels he could have saved. So by becoming a werewolf, he gets a family Mm -hmm. and he gets the power to save people. That would have been so interesting had they discussed it. But no, we're just sitting here being like, well, maybe like we always do. Yeah. It it, it just, it strikes me as, um, 
as as something that they should would have wanted to discuss. It it, it is really weird to me, especially after they made the decision to kill off Erica. Mm-hmm. Atrocious. So we Stop doing are not it. over it. They they basically fridged Erica uh, for Boyd's emotional plot and then never gave him one. Yep. They Her. just did this instead. Yeah. They could have... Which also, that means they fr- literally fridged his sister. She's in the ice maker. I... You know, and that does make me wonder, like, why they did choose to go with, oh, my sister died, rather than... Erica. Erica. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I would make me wonder what they would do for it. Um, that police report on the radio is very... So good. So good. Um, particularly because it's so clear that that is like a child mm-hmm. and not teenage adult. He's an adult. Adult yeah, boy. 27-year-old <laughs> um, Boyd, yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think either of those things would have been really... Um, affecting i lo- i love the um i love the framing of finding his sister in the ice yeah bin. that that scene is really um compelling yeah um a quick note on boyd they're all like we have to find something that burns underwater go with the buzz flares his feet are <laughs> out of the bathtub they're sticking out all you need is a bic lighter just get his toes <laughs> <laughs> also the fact that uh i know that this would have created insane problem but the fact that neither of them get hit by the safe when it goes flying <laughs> is insane they should open the safe i'd be interested to know what was in there yeah i also i mean it's such a i mean it's it's not a throwaway detail but it it's very specific mm-hmm. to have him be like what's the the heaviest thing i could find especially because i'm a big man and i'm a werewolf yeah and then they just find Isaac chilling under the bed. Which I actually really liked that because for all the times in that particular episode when Lydia is like hearing things and not finding them, to have her look under the bed and have Isaac actually be there yeah. is a really good moment. It is. Uh, yeah. Isaac was just letting Boyd drown. <laughs> well, he was so scared. He was. Oh, and just that scene when, when Isaac like looks up at Lydia... Like, if I were a cinematographer, I would be so excited to shoot Daniel Sharman's angular, angular face. I think that's why people get pumped to shoot Rob Pattinson. There's mm-hmm. so many angles going on there. Yeah, and I thought that um, the lighting served uh, everybody really well. Yes, I agree. Um, Should we talk about Scott? Let's do it. Um, Scott really does have an interesting thing in this episode, with the exception of the Deucalion and his mom thing. I was like, eh, boring. Boring and also... And it's also been used. We've seen his mom captured and unharmed by so many villains at this point that I was like, eh. It seems like a waste of time and a waste of... A waste of all of the ways that you could possibly manipulate the audience because up until that point... We know something hinky is going on, but the lines between hallucination and reality are still pretty blurred. And as soon as you do that, you're like, oh, I can't trust anything that I'm watching. Yeah. So it kind of cheapens that particular moment. You know what? Uh, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Twilight really quickly. Um, Well, listen, (laughs) you look very distrustful. In Twilight, when James is trying to manipulate Bella, he just 
does the sound bite on the phone. If we had not seen the hallucination in the parking lot, I would be genuinely scared that Deucalion had Melissa. Yeah. And it also just, I mean, logically, it wouldn't make sense if he was really there. Why would he really be there? You know? Yeah. Like, it just, if you walk it out a little bit, you're like, that made no sense. Yeah. And the sort of thing about the other hallucinations is that they're mostly auditory. Yeah. Um, um, and then you see, like, a flash of something. Or, yeah. or Isaac gets thrown in the freezer at the end. Yeah. Of that particular thing. Um, but it is interesting that, that how that plays into his guilt plot in this episode. Because I think that that is the manifestation of him realizing how many times he's put his, his mom in danger. Just on the, basically on the basis of uh, her being his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the Spider-Man thing. He can't reveal his identity or else MJ's in trouble. Yeah. Well, and now she knows, so she is in She's extra in trouble. She's in on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's the part um, where he goes and visits Allison in the shower. Yeah, and that was something that, because that actually does kind of um, reflect on like the first couple of full moony stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that reminded me of the, uh, the birthday party episode when he goes and he thinks he's seeing, he hallucinates Allison and, making, Jack- and Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like there, there is a part of, of his like sort of romantic relationship with, with Allison that he also has all of these conflicting feelings about. Like he does feel guilty about her mom dying, even though... <laughs> She mm-hmm. tried to kill him first. He feels guilty about the way the relationship panned out. And then to have all of that sort of weighing on him, it does sort of, like when he starts going wonky, um, it manifests in a way where he is trying to seek her out again. Um, that scene is an interesting conversation on consent. Mm-hmm. Love that she's, he's like, I've seen you naked before. And she's like, yeah, but we are not together anymore. The, that consent, consent is gone. Love how she says we're kind of not together anymore. That's um, a teenage affectation. Is, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I found that really interesting, and I kind of think back to uh, when Scott is with his mom and having an issue, and she's like, what's your anchor? And he's like, it used to be Allison. And we're kind of led to believe that he's doing okay, and he's figured out how to... Uh, anchor himself without her. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's clear from the end of the episode when he talks about like all of his insecurities that he's not doing great. Yeah. And he's really struggling. And perhaps there's a part of his werewolf brain that thinks if I get Allison back, things will be better. Maybe. Maybe possibly. Yeah. And, and now talking about the end of the episode where Scott is, has doused himself in gasoline and is about to let one of the, the flares go, uh, which is interesting that like Scott has, has put himself in harm's way the one way that they were able to save him. Mm-hmm. Um, we, he basically rattles off the list of things that he is guilty about. He thinks there, because like, I think the sort of hopelessness is that he expresses is the symptom of guilt. Cause he thinks that, that Derek is, is, um, is dead and that it's his fault. And then he's like, it would be better if I were not here because of all of the problems I have caused. Like I should have gone back to being nothing and no one because then nobody would be hurt by my hands. Um, and, and 
Allison tries to reason with him, which is interesting when you say like there's part of his werewolf brain that seeks her out and she can't really do it because it has to be somebody who was with him when he was absolutely nothing to get through and be like being nothing. You were still like my brother. Oh, this episode works because it is styles. Yeah. Who brings him out? Couldn't be anybody else. No. Uh, I would not accept it and I would not enjoy it. No. Um, yeah, that scene is absolutely heartbreaking. And one of the things that I find really interesting about it is that if we think back to season one, Scott, who, um, just wanted to be good at lacrosse and like becoming a werewolf was such a major inconvenience in his life. And he didn't want to take it on and all of these horrible things were happening. And eventually he starts to like take responsibility because Scott McCall is a superhero. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. But I think in a way it gave him a purpose Mm -hmm. and it gave him um, a pack, which is so important to him. It is family. Um, Yes. So I just think it's very interesting that uh, the thing that he didn't want and the thing that he most wanted to get rid of, because that's one of the whole things that he spends like half of season one uh, doing is like, oh, the one that bet you is the one that can uh, change you back. And now uh, the thing that gave him purpose in season two is the thing once again that is ruining his life. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and his his relationship to guilt is kind of a continuation in the series. Like, Scott always is worried about what he has done to other people. And to see it manifest in this way, I think, is really effective. He uh, also, yeah. the way that he conducts his business and the way that um, he goes about solving problems absolves him of a lot of guilt. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to kill anyone. He doesn't have to be party to seriously hurting someone. He tries every possible way he can think of to get around it and thus avoiding much of the guilt that might come along with, you know, being Derek or being whoever. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Okay, speaking of Derek, we have not a lot to say about his whole shtick with um, Jennifer. Other than that, it was distasteful. (laughs) Like, I just thought it was tacky to have, especially the end scene where Scott is you know, writing his suicide note to, to splice it together with, uh, the sex scene where your I cannot think about how fucking covered in blood Derek is, which is why I say the world's stickiest sex scene. Um, it's just tasteless. It is gross. I think I do kind of wonder, I kind of wish that I had, that I was able to watch this again for the first time because prior to the world's stickiest sex scene, they, he and Jennifer have a moment where he's like, Everybody around me gets hurt, and she's like, I'm, I'm willing to, to do that for you, which is absolutely ridiculous. We know she's evil. We know she's playing it up, but like, if you were trying to lead us off the scent, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, had they handled it a little better, and had they not had the world's stickiest sex scene, like, if it had been just a shot of them like laying side by side, and mm-hmm. him being healed because he was like in the, they were like holding hands or something. Or even if they had just started the the kissing scene and not gone back to it. Yeah. Don't get that out of the big moment in the end. It's, I mentioned to you this to you while we were watching it. There's a scene in the second season of Scom where there's been two characters who have had this like on and off sort of back and forth relationship and you were waiting, waiting, waiting for them to get together Mm -hmm. like officially. And in the midst of like them having the like this sort of like 
breezy, artful, like white sheets, sex scene. It's like cut together with like a comedy scene of like a different character making out with somebody at a party. And it's like, you ruined it. That could have meant something, but you decided that there was other things we needed to talk about. I feel like at every opportunity to humanize Derek and to get the audience to sympathize. They drop that motherfucking ball. They really do. They're like, uh, how can I make this so ineffective? Yeah. Because it ruins the scene with Scott. It doesn't make me feel anything towards Derek, which is kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Um, it it accomplishes nothing except irritating. It doesn't even really establish any kind of sex appeal. (laughs) No one, because it's, Sticky. Sticky. And also, it's just dark. Like, you can't see anything. The darkness doesn't even, like... That doesn't even... like. No, it's actually just the circumstance of it being deeply unromantic, given what else is happening in the episode. Like, I can't think about even whatever potential romance would be happening when we're still dealing with what's happening. This episode didn't need the B-plot. It It, didn't need it. I would have rather, like... At the beginning of the next episode, we just woke up in Derek's apartment with him and Jennifer in bed together, and we could infer that that's what happened. Yeah, or even just, like, if you had to throw it in. One, I think it's important for us not to be in the motel for the entire episode just because it is so heavy. Like, it's it's important to have that moment with Chris being like, oh, my daughter is betraying me, mm-hmm. um, kind of. And I think even if you had just had... They did a lot of really great music overlay, and if even if you had just had scenes of no one talking, of her, like, putting a bandage on him... Like, Mm-hmm. Literally no dialogue was necessary. None. Absolutely none. There were ways to do it that was not Or if the cheap. B-plot was just Chris. Yeah, he could have had more to do. He could have run into Peter. That would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we didn't really have a lot to say about Allison, but Allison is kind of a secondary player in this episode. She's not very... She's, a- she's passive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that we don't love her. She just didn't have a lot to do. Do we want to move into Q's nose? Let's do it. Do you have a question? This is, I don't know if this is like, this is not an answerable question. But? How is the Duroc in two places at once? I don't think the Duroc is actually at the motel. Mm-hmm. I think that she is like astral projecting. Cool. Once again, a thing that would be cool if we knew Anything more about it? And since we know that she technically died once, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Lydia to be able to see her, especially as they are both, like, Celtic entities. That's a very... That's an intriguing point. Um, let's see. Like, also, the Wolfsbane was there when they when they got on the bus and at school. Like, Jennifer could have done that at any point. That's true. I, I, I love that it is Wolfsbane. I love that there's an answer... At the end of and it, that it's in the whistle because yes. the whole thing about the 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 whistling in the first episode, like the the episode preceding this, is like ha ha ha. Coach has a whistle, and then it's like, but it's important. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, I mean, you could have gone either way. Like, the seeing the Duroc was kind of enough, but to have that extra little, it's just a, it's a detail we don't often get. Yes, um, I think that was kind of my only question. There's not a lot of questions. No. So my question we already kind of laughed at, uh, and that was why wasn't Isaac one of the sacrifices? I don't know if you had thoughts on that. I mean, if it's a if it's a question of power, um, I don't know why it comes down to Isaac and not Bo- like, or Boyd and not Isaac. 
Um, it's but it's not even between Boyd and Isaac. It is between Isaac and Ethan, which is so weird. I mean, I think, but it honestly just could be a thing of the Drock being like, "Well, there's four going. Three of them will probably die, and if the fourth one dies, whatever." <laughs> yeah, it's kind. Of, it's like he's an insurance policy. Yeah, the extra, the extra werewolf. <laughs> Do you, yeah, do you have extra werewolf coverage? <laughs> <laughs> Although I actually kind of wonder if the four of them had died, if that would throw it off. Interesting. We'll never know. We, we truly will not. Nope. Do you have any O's? Um, I think we've covered a lot of them. I did, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this when we were talking about styles, but, um, his biggest fear and frustration is when people don't listen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like he brings up the fact that he thought that Matt was shady from the first and he's the one trying to figure out the sacrifices and he, you know, um, I relate to styles. My first mm-hmm. impressions are always right about people. And yep. always three months later, people are like, did you know that so-and-so is a real jerk? And I was like, yes, I did. Oh, I, I spotted I, that on site. It's the vibes. It's the vibes. I have never been off on a vibe. I've never been wrong. Um, so people, just to, just so you know, if you meet us in, vibe. if you meet us in person, we will have an opinion. Um, uh, yeah. Some of the script I think seems kind of out of place. Oh my God. Lydia has this line where she's like two barrels of a shotgun, Herbert did where she's like describing ways you mm-hmm. can kill yourself. And I was like, Hmm, that was crass. Gross. It was gross. And yeah. then at a certain point, um, Allison's like, it's not like this place is haunted. What do you think what is happening? What else would it be? Because you don't, don't know it's worse. 200 space, suicides and you think this bitch isn't haunted? Yeah. And then like the into all, we've already discussed how unnecessary this was, but like all the dialogue between Derek and Jennifer just seemed so out of place in this particular episode was, uh, that yeah. I was like, Neh. it was forced. Oh uh, yeah. Some of the dialogue was, yeah. Um... You know what I thought was a really nice touch? What? The Bibles. Yeah. With the articles inside. Uh-huh. Fascinating. That's like very... I The thing about being in a hotel is like hotels, motels are always such good horror places because terrible, awful things do happen in hotels, motels. Mm-hmm. The worst of humanity uh, is, 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 ex- is exercised in, in those places. So that I just thought was such a good touch. Cause there's always going to be a Bible in your hotel room. This is, this is kind of a question and, but mm, I don't know. Porque it may be a dose. Um, maybe it's a question and an observation, but at the end of the episode, when Chris goes to Gerard uh-huh. and is like my uncle who killed himself, yeah, who bit him. Why is that so important to him right now? Well, I think that um, Chris doesn't know what's going on with the Drock. So when he hears that for some reason his daughter is stuck in a hotel where he knows that his uncle killed himself, he, and is starting to piece together the pieces of that fight, he probably assumes that something's going down and that there is like an alpha pack or something. And he's like, he's like these things have to be connected mm-hmm. and is connecting them that way. It's very off. He doesn't know about the drop. No. He's got no reason to. Um, it was just an interesting thing to drop in, and I can only imagine the reason they wanted to keep it was so that we knew that Gerard was still a player, which is 
annoying. Yeah, dumb. Okay, let's do pack stats. Let's do pack stats. There actually were not a lot of them for this particular episode. For the best, it would be weird if they were all of the it, campy Teen Wolf garbage was taking place um, in this episode. It would be weird. Actually, one of my favorite campy Teen Wolf things did happen um, is that uh, uh, Chris raked his a hand across the claw marks. Oh, I, I love, love that. It's so good. That. Um, yeah, so we had three eyes. We had a little flicker from Scott of the Alphan, and um, one claws when Ethan is trying to rip his own stomach open. Disgusting. Four shirts. Um, potentially an ad. Uh, the old Argent is driving a Ford. Shout out. Cool. U- USA. Um, the great state of Michigan. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, we have had three sirens, unless I miscounted. I think it was three. Yeah. Those are our pack stats. Well, I think that get, we're getting pretty close to wrapping this episode up. Do you have an alpha of the week and why is it Styles? <laughs> because he saves the main character? It's Styles. Uh, I, I knew that it was going to be. It's not like we're going to be like, oh, I thought that. Or Lydia did a good job. I would like to award a co alpha of the week to Styles and Lydia. Yeah. Stidia for the mm-hmm. win. Good Stidia episode. Like, not romantic, but it is always fun to see them playing off of each other. Because it's. Friends to lovers is the best. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that about wraps it up. This has been a very anticipated episode of The Rewolf for both us and you guys, I know for sure. Uh, if you liked this episode, we hope you guys leave us a review on iTunes. We can find new members of the Wolf Pack. You can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. If you have not yet and would like to participate in some Teen Wolf discussions, please join our Facebook group. You can just find us the Teen Wolf Free Wolf Podcast Facebook group. Um, we're also on Tumblr. Do with that what you will. Uh, And other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, Woo!